You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 85 of Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. As always, I've got my co-host, Eurosimos, in the building. Today, we have, as always, I know I say it every episode, but an incredible guest with us here today, Hector Combo. Um, is quite an alternative and underground research writer and thinker, but his insights are absolutely profound. So hang in there with us for this conversation. Just before we get started, getting close to a final curtain call for Eyes Above the Herd, round three spots are filling up very, very quickly. And we launched September 12 for that eight-week heroic journey. We've had some incredible feedback from the first two rounds, profound breakthroughs. You can head to the course website at riseabovetheherd.co to read all about that and discover more. Guys, thank you so much for listening and for supporting our platform and for allowing us to do what we do. We really appreciate it. If wherever you're listening, you can take a moment before this episode starts to rate, review, subscribe, leave us a review, let us know what you think would mean a great deal to us. Without any further ado, here is Hector. Today for you all, we have Hector Combo in the house. Hector is on an adventure to find his true self and share his inner light. He's an individualist trying to find answers in this postmodern maze of confusion. He produces podcasts, articles, and manages alternative communities. He's been a guest on our favorite podcast of all time, Unslaved a couple times himself. And what he shares truly is enlightening. I've myself gained great value from those conversations. Hector, such a pleasure to have you here. I appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much for having me on. No worries at all, man. First thing that I really want to get into here is really your the key highlights of your story, the major rites of passages, um, the real turning points on your hero, hero's journey that allowed you to evolve into, into the Hector that we see here now. Okay, I will try to be brief and encapsulate it because overall the trajectory of where I'm coming from is you could see it throughout my articles. Essentially, my approach is an existential one, but my life story is projected on my articles and in a lot of the things that I do because I am trying to be vulnerable and also critically analyze myself. And in that reflection, I can learn more through time. And necessarily, I'm not just producing content. What I am trying to produce is the inner essence of myself and actualize it. So to really, my political awakening was in Mexico as a seven or eight years old, I start seeing the tides of corruption, as I call them. And in my articles, I talk about how these patterns, they manifest throughout your life, and then they're the backdrop. And in that backdrop, it really colorizes your life path. And if you're not aware, it can beset you, beguile you into self-destruction. So seeing the corruption of you know, my family and my countrymen, it really kind of strikes you as odd that adults don't know what's going on. And at the same time, there was major political upheaval and theft. Suffice it to say, because of that economic downturns and all these other issues, my family immigrated to the United States. And I had to learn a lot of the things that I talk about. I didn't learn English because someone taught me. I learned it through observation. I did not learn about history, really what is going on behind the conspiracy of history, a teacher. I actually learned a lot by going through a library and reading about World War and World War II and everything that entails. So in that journey, you start looking at the pattern of how can someone 
give away their whole life and their whole self to an authority figure, a government figure, a church figure, whatever it may be. And, you know, as I go through life, I actually want to investigate and ask questions. And so I confronted many politicians, such as George P. Bush, the son of Jeb Bush, because demographically speaking, one of the major issues that's going on, and, you know, let's, let's just, let's be frank. There's a major downturn with humanity. And Spangler talked about how in the end phase of a demographic or a people, they lose contact with history. They lose contact with themselves. And that's what I noticed here as an immigrant. I mean, I've lived in this country. I might as well be American, but I am an American as far as I go with that. And as an individualist, I cannot just color myself with all these different labels, but with context. Coming to this country, I see the same patterns. And it's awful because I really enjoyed the prosperity and I enjoyed just the cultural Western tradition. I really thoroughly enjoy it because it has given me so much more to philosophize. It, philosophize, I'm so sorry. The German idealistic uh, issues with Schopenhauer and suffering and being, that to me was like, okay, well, if this whole world is a stage and we see the same people again and again, and the pattern of corruption continues, and according to Schopenhauer, you know, the greatest type of government will be, you know, like an ant colony. That's what reflects us. So I had to do a lot of consideration and a lot of existential thinking. And ultimately, what I realized is the more I abstract my philosophy, the more I abstract my psychology, I am projecting my inner issues, my inner trauma onto the world. See, we only project images onto the world. And that's if you don't go beyond that, you're not going to break the matrix. You're not going to glitch through this conundrum. And I think metaphysically speaking, the rights that I really kind of woke me up were in my ranch, in my village. I was born in this village called, uh, I can't pronounce it right now because I'm just speaking English. But the main thing about it is you are cleansing your aura. You are being taught this tradition of healing. But it gets so immersed with superstition, it's irrational. You, you might think, well, if you're doing a cleanse with sage or this brush, well, that's irrational. It's acausal. All right, keep that mindset. It's irrational, acausal. So if you have Mexi-American traditions meant to elucidate your inner self and your metaphysical traditions of your people, but you're an immigrant and you have no historical context or political context, and you're in another country, you're like in the best role to be an outsider. So realizing that, thinking about my tradition, my people's tradition and German idealism and just in general existentialism, what I really did was a reformation of my philosophical self, my, the way I view the world. And what I noticed is there's a lack of spirit, a lack of spirit in our people and in all people. And I don't want to label it with colors or whatever. You know what I mean? There are people who are losing lack they're aimless, they have no drive, and they know it, and they don't care. That is not an accident. That is the creation of a social convention. Okay, so prodding further into this existential, philosophical, political nexus of what is the human tragedy of today, quote-unquote, post-modernity. Once you actually get into the conversation, there are two distinct camps. And usually, because we don't go beyond our own bias, you know, my, my catchphrase is going beyond the spectrum, combo, beyond the spectrum, a combination of different approaches. It's not just brute force, I am right and you're wrong. It's more than that. Point that I'm saying is 
because we're so enculturated by the social convention, if we really think about the grand conspiracy, it didn't happen yesterday, didn't happen 20 years ago. It was an ongoing conceptual transformation of humanity for hundreds of years. So we arrived to this point where our human essence is under attack, but we're given this toys, these techie toys, and we don't actually see our poverty. And so that's what my journey has been really. Uh, details, they're very interesting because I've had a lot of different adventures, but I think the big picture is the most important one. There is something really going on. We should be observing ourselves and we should be reevaluating everything. Mm. When did you like first realize like something fucked up with the world? Like when did you have that aha moment? Okay, this is really personal and I don't have a problem saying it because it's not my fault, it's not my issue. Well, one of the dirty secrets of Hispanic culture, and this needs to be said, is that there's a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of incest happening. And a lot of political thinkers have not even dared transgress this. And it's true, it happens. It has to do with a lot of issues. Well, that gave me some impetus to try to investigate, well, why did I get sexually abused? Why did I get that treatment? What happened? Well, I start looking at the patterns of my society. Then I started looking at pornography as a weapon and how it is being used to destabilize the, the mind of man and turn women into objects. And it's not some politically correct thing. It's they weaponize media. They weaponize sexual images. And so they entrain people to debase themselves and seek after profane love. So in other words, we're projecting the worst aspects of ourselves. And then these cretins, these terrible people, they hunt children, innocent, vulnerable children, because they want to feel powerful. So while we do attack or we do decry and deride the world elite, the people around us are even also participating in these things. So that made me think like, holy heck. So it's not just that the authoritarian mindset is a plague in this world, is that there's people who are okay with that. And they want to be that. They want to play that role. So that for me was a big eureka, but it took years to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing, man. I, I mean, I have I have friends in uh, Latin culture, and and you know they've confided in me that that's definitely a thing as well. But like you said, it's not something that's spoken about on a, on a greater scale. Fortunately, yes. So, would you say that? these powers that be, whatever we want to call them, are in a sense attempting to, to make the world in their image? It's, it's a bit of a yes and no. Yeah. Okay, so if you look at, the, look at a book named Sacred Fire, I forget the name, uh, his last name of the author is Goldberg, but the book of the Sacred Fire, it talks about the occult primordial rituals of man and how at the beginning of the dawn of, of, of man, how we became this modern man, social convention molded us. So we couldn't just outright express our physical rawness and social convention really suppressed that. But there's this one thing about, we talk about time and the psychology of time and the philosophy of time, but even more so the cycles of time. The perennial philosophy is called that because it's the cycles of time in reference to, you know, Manly P. Hall and his philosophy of, of the ages. It's kind of the, the no part is that there are cycles in time. Mm -hmm. Man ascends to the heavens and descends to the pit of hell. That's part of the symbology of the ladder. It's perpetual. And we continue to do, doing so. At the same time, 
the technocratic elite understand human psychology. And it's no mistake that the primordial rituals of distant ancient times are coming about at the end of the paradigm of this world. So there's one thing that I read in your in your your site, and you were talking about, in essence, I'm, not, I'm just trying to paraphrase it, but in sure. essence, you were saying that the world that we know has ended. A lot of people haven't received that memo. 20 or 30 years or 40 or 50 years, I say 1970s, because that was a critical time, where the world we knew is over, it's done. So what's going on, and this is covered in my three-part series of post-modernity, is we're in between two paradigms. The end of the paradigm before 1970s was Americana, nucle uh, nuclea, uh, nucleus of the family, and you know productivity and actual technological prowess. You know, it's been since we talked about how great it was, all the brain drain that they were doing, and so that was their model for the moment. But now that that has collapsed and decayed, not by accident, purposefully. They're preparing us for another model, which is the post-human reality, post-truth world, which people colloquially refer to as great reset or some other aspect of that. So knowing that, the unconscious mind, the actual collective organism, it's, a, it's an actual organism. Once you get together with a bunch of people, you're sharing DNA, you're sharing information, it's cohesive. Well, it's realizing that its existential end is coming. So that is why people throw off all of these aspects that they say they believe in and they LARP or role play again as ancient times. So basically the ritual of Moloch as the, depicted in the book, Sacred Fire, where people go outside into the desert and, you know, they do all this revelry. Well, that is purposefully recreated in today by concerts and other socialite events where they do orgies and these other things. That's no accident. It needs to be done because it exalts the diffused passions and it prepares the vassal to enter the new paradigm. I'm pausing it here because I, I laid out a lot and I want to know what you guys are thinking. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff definitely that you're that you're getting into, man. And I definitely hear you on, on that front in terms of what we're seeing uh, transpire, um, and especially like just the the exponential increase in hedon hedonistic and 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 pleasure filled activities. You know, I mean, I've spoken before on podcasts and other things we've done of just how I was impacted by by pornography at a very very young age uh, and had my challenges with it and and have done my fair share of work to to overcome it to 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 be in a in a loving marriage and at the same time and some of that stuff still has a hold on me. So um, you know, when I think of someone who doesn't have a solid grounding or, or, or doesn't have a personal philosophy, how easily they can be swayed by these architects of control. And we, you know, we're seeing it play out right now uh, in the world. So I, I just agree with what you're saying, man. So I was just, I was waiting for you to just keep going and going. <laughs> There's more to it, but I wanted to take a brief pause because these things have actual effect on people. It's, it's not a headline. It's not a statistic. The most significant minority is the individual. We're the ones actually Trial, like transcending through all these things or being personally imprisoned by it. And the issue with pornography is such a metaphysical issue because it goes down to the essence of being. And a lot of occult esoteric uh, traditions call it different things, but you can call it Kundalini, you can call it life energy, but just suffice it to say for this conversation, the essence that we spew out, 
when we pleasure ourselves to these images, right, there is metaphysical implications. And it, the latest news, and if you didn't know this already, the biggest conglomerate of pornography is MindGeek. And they have massive chapters of pornography. And it's the latest court case. This is from the court complaint, uh, not word by word, paraphrased. They are run like the Sopranos, like a mafia. And this is a court case that has been dovetailing from the girls do porn, which is one of the highest trends at that time, several years. Well, everybody's getting duped. Even the person doing the whatever, they're getting duped. And uh, yeah, so that's really changed human behavior for the worse. Yeah, man. So... How can you can you explain simply for our audience just to set the basis? What is postmodernism? What is posthumanity? What is the post-truth world? All right. So let's remove what we hear from people who call it cultural Marxism, and let's remove what we hear from the left as postmodernity. Let's just remove it completely yep. because then we're going to enter with bias. Postmodernity in literal terms is beyond modernity. In essence, the myth of modernity, what it is. If you ask a man in the Renaissance, is this modernity? They will say, yes, of course, with all this great progress, this is modernity. Well, when you think about it that way, that happens to us too. It goes back to the cycles of time and philosophy of time, where we're thinking we're at the precipice of development, progressivism, or whatever they might call it, and that we call modernity. But what we have arrived to a point where technological advancement has enhanced our lives. But in fact, the contradiction is, while it has enhanced or made living more comfortable, it creates an entrainment of your mind and it diffuses your passions. It essentially overrides your humanity. So that's what post-modernity is, where, or post-human truth world, where we're creating a whole society that is not centered or catered towards humanity anymore. The major meter of reality and values will be the clockwork computer, which goes back to a lot of the mumbo jumbo that a lot of these futurists, which they call themselves like, uh, you know, their their dialectic is a will to power. They're essentially saying, well, all these useless eaters, they, they really don't know. It. The metaphysical aspect of it is the world is in constant flux. And nothing could be understood if you ask the Marxists. Well, then you have the other ones where a reaction to the Marxists who still use the conventionality of will to power or what would you call it? Material dialecticism. Material dialecticism actually informs both the left and the right politically and philosophically. That's why they're always fighting on each other, but they're not actually pointing behind the backdrop. In a word, what it is, is an override of human essence. That's what it is. Anything else outside of that is somebody else's bias that wants to get you a uniform. Yeah. So in this in this world of postmodernism or posthumanity that's either here or already looming, how does one, in your view, hold on to their passions and cultivate passion and become an anchor for for the true essence of what it is to be human? Best of time, worth of times. This is the best time to actualize the inherent passion of your life. It's amazing. But we're actually, my latest article series is covering this. And so I'm just trying to pace myself. There's a new war because what we're talking about is is something very deep that most take for granted. And I'm going to go colorize that narrative and tell you what I mean. But historically speaking, we need to learn from the past. 
This is nothing new. Henry Kissinger took over politics really, really early in the 1970s, and that affected a lot of things. And if you look at how cultivated or how controlled the Cultural Revolution was and its connection to military intelligence to, uh, and, and all these other connections, well, you know that these things are intended to attract you and contain you and then push you to the side of irrelevance. So that's what happened to a lot of the liberal activists and the progressives at that time. They got dejected. They never did any political effective. So if you're in this situation where you have, you are facing a digital realm or the cyber domain, because all of our lives is in the digital format. This is the fourth industrial revolution, information age. So if you are actually going to actualize, you need to come to terms with the implications of the medium. So in other words, if you are participating in the virtual casino gulag, as some people call it, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all these other digital platforms, it is necessary to know that by the implication of these mediums, it is exploiting your psychology because it needs to. And the new type of war that is unfolding as we speak, and this is part of the major thing that uh, Joe Biden has done, but it's not even Joe Biden, he's a, he's a zombie, he's a puppet, but it comes all the back from Cass, Sunstein, Barack Obama, and even further than that. The point of it is, well, all the censorship from COVID-1984, you saw it real time. They were completely censoring things in real time, but that was not the real effect. The real effect was that people actually adapted and were conditioned in real time. And now they're going to have an actual, they really are saying it publicly. They were doing it silently. An army of keyboard warriors or social justice warriors, not just your, your typical person. No, just they will pay you to infiltrate, or they call it consensus cracking. This is information destabilization. That's what Cass Sunstein talked about. How do we take over these conspiracy-minded individuals who, I don't know, want freedom for themselves and want to have informed consent and actually live their life as they choose? How do we get rid of these people? Oh, okay. We become these people. We take over the narrative. We divide them. We totally make them look like fools and clowns. So this is what we have. Either you become awake, politically aware, what's the first thing you do? Okay, you get into the YouTube videos and you look or, or bit shoot, Odyssey or whatever, and you pick your favorite personality. You might say, this person, that other person, he fits me. So when you look at it, the digital realm is a reflection of your psychology. And if you're not aware of your own psychology, you've already lost the battle. That's what I'm trying to say. They've organized all these militarized, militarized networks, that's what the internet is, a militarized network. And everything that operates there is a matter of fact way to condition you. And you can navigate, you can transcend all those things, but the first thing you got to do is check yourself, deconstruct your psychology, and take it for what it is. I think that would be a good strategy. Yeah, for sure, man. Dude, I, I, I agree with you 100%, man. Um, and the challenge of life, of navigating reality, is becoming more complex. And hence is also, in my view, the importance of developing our own individuality, of knowing ourselves, as the great oracle of Delphi uh, might echo. Can you speak on the importance of developing authentic selfhood in navigating these challenges? If you don't have it, you won't be able to enjoy life. Whatever you do, you'll lose. If you don't have an authentic self, every endeavor that you touch will go by the wayside. So it's absolutely important before you start any endeavor, you understand yourself. Yeah. 
what what have been some of the ways for you like on your on your individuation process like that has served you you know teachers you know experiences etc oh i definitely can um i rest on the shoulders of people like michael desarian or jordan maxwell you know thankfully i was able to talk to him before his passing onto a better world but generally you know a teacher can only do so much you're going to have to do the work and this is a major thing doing the homework and the one thing I learned is you really have to meditate in silence, silence above all else. Um, we try to betray ourselves with words. There's an idolatry, idolatry towards words because we want to express what we're feeling. We want to express to the world who we are. But the real self, the essence of being is not communicated through words. We're limited by language. So the inner work, you actually have to feel. And that's one thing I got to tell guys, like, like really be cool and not disrespectful. Feeling is the key to unlocking your key. Talk to any professional martial artist or any of them and ask them, what is the key to your success? If he's a learned, wise man, he will tell you, feel from within. Because that's, that's the key to a lot of ancient martial arts. And that's the key to just being yourself. It's feeling. And really, we kind of take for granted the simple solutions. Yeah. And when you look at it from the other side, um, there's so much projection, which causes an individual to be unwilling to feel, unwilling to feel their own inauthenticity, unwilling, unwilling to feel all their shame because of the rampant hedonism, because of how much they've partaken in, I guess, you know, the, the cyber orgy, so to speak. And so as we continue down this timeline, it seems there's going to become more and more dissonance um, between someone's willingness to feel and actually move through all the bullshit to come back to what is, I guess, true to themselves. No, you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's an awful thing too, because you could see it in your friends and you do not have to break people's programming by, okay, I'm going to say this. Yep. Reality is not an appeal to reason. I know it sounds, what I'm saying is irrational. It sounds irrational. But if you read Carl Gustav Jung and his take on synchronicity, you will understand that what I am saying is metaphysically profound. It's not an appeal to reason necessarily. When we think about how to conduct ourselves, we usually see our surroundings as a way for us to penetrate and project our, our essence or being or image onto others. And the reason when people don't want to actually feel is no one actually taught them how to do that and they don't see others doing it. Why would they want to do it? They have all these material goodies that supplant that passion. But, you know, more than ever, people are like, like really thirsty and really hungry for authenticity. And I think the best way to do it to actually break people's programming is not trying to convince them of the latest conspiracy or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. Be yourself and really embrace your essence. People wake up really quick. It's like that trope and they live. You ever walk into a store or whatever and you're full of confidence and you're like happy, like everything is dark around you and stuff. Not by accident, of course. And then all of a sudden you're walking and you're happy and then you, some, you could feel the energy of people looking at you. Yeah. We got one that can see. We got one that can see. And once you learn that, to tap into that and you navigate that and then you make contact with people, boom everything else kind of like snaps into the point. So the present moment is so important and to navigate it, synchronicity is important too. So I think that's a, such a venue of 
that it has not been talked about how you can really just engage with people at a relationship level and still be able to decondition them without using a lot of word food. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. And, and back to the feeling thing, um, I, I totally uh, resonate with you on that front. I mean, it, it's definitely when I think back in, in my life and uh, what had the most uh, impact on me in my own personal journey and individuation process was was really getting into deep somatic work. You know, I got into really deep physical work, um, you know, getting into the work of Wilhelm Reich and, and other related teachers of just going like, wow, okay, I can sit here and I can read books and I can do all this stuff and I can philosophize and I can uh, think about things. And yet at the same time, there's this intelligence that's going on. You know, there's, there's, there's pain, there's, there's um, trauma that's stored in my body. And when I was able to bring things up, that had been repressed to be present to, 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 to hold space for, to sit in, to sit in, to lay down in fetal position for 30 minutes, weeping with snot coming out of my nose with no story attached to it, because there was this depth of, of blocked energy of, of, of sensation of emotion that I, that I had, I had no way to access um, outside of being uh, outside of the body, you know, that, that was transformational to me. And so it's like, you know, when I think about people and they're, they're just going from one thing to the next thing and they're in that external world and they're moving from pleasure to pleasure or work or device to device. And it's like, do you feel your feet on the ground? You know, do, do you do you feel the subtle sensations in your body? Can you feel like, oh, wow, I just I was just outside and the sun's shining on me and, and the hairs on my neck like lit up, you know, like that level of sensation. I think I think what we see around us, this deadening of society is people have gotten so disconnected from, from their bodies, you know, in, in that sense, you know, yes, they're out there and they're, they're in this sens sensual world and they're in pleasures, but like, it's different. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, you sit yes. there jerking off to porn all day and eating food and going to orgies and, and partying all night. Like it's, it's not what we're talking about. You know, oh, you talk about dude, sitting I in meditation, like sitting there with yourself on the couch you know, like allowing the, the feelings to come up without, oh, let me, let me go to the next thing on my phone. Let me go to the, and I said this as someone who, listen, I'm a product of this world. I use my devices more than maybe I would like to, but it's a, it's a process. But when I think back to the, the challenges in my life, when I think back, when I grappled with, with porn addiction, it was like, well, what is, what is that? What's that thing that's happening in my body that like instantaneously, before I know it, I'm like sitting there like jerking off. You know, it's like, what, what is, what is that existential angst? What is that, what is that thing within me that wants me to take this habitual action? Can I sit with it? Can I go, oh man, this is uncomfortable. Like, I don't know what it is. Like I might want to move, but can I not even move with it? Can I not even try to fidget? Can I just sit with it and allow it to bubble up and to, to fucking like rock my world, you know? And, and that to me, even now I go, okay, you're awesome. Most like, Fucking just sit down, close your eyes, or not even close your eyes. Look at a fucking tree, relate to the tree as I'm feeling my own body, as I'm feeling the, the sensations and the tingling in my hands, as I'm feeling the sweat underneath my armpits. You know, like this level of, of nuance and sensation that like you bring this up to most people, they're like, what? <laughs> you know? I sure do, man. I sure do. Uh, there's so much philosophy in the body. You know, metaphorically, I call what you mentioned, what you described as an exorcism, you know, not in the <laughs> traditional sense, but I mean, like, seriously, because the body retains so much trauma. I think 
uh, bioenergetic exercises also help, you know, in these somatic exercises, help you realize that while your mind is still moving on to the next thing, you know, I got to go do this, I got to do that. Your body is still just frustrated and full of impatience and stuff. And I also want to be fair here because uh, I've been criticizing men. There's also a balance to it. This idea of where you know that the social convention is based, is based on matriarchy. And while we're thinking that we're servicing women and we're like offering them our vitality and like conquering these great sexual escapades, we're actually the fool. Or, you know, this idea that this love is love is so ridiculous because the love that is compounded to be love today is actually frigid, profane love, the very base level of love. Find an American woman who can treat you like a man and lift you up and take care of you, not like a baby, like a man with respect. There's a very, very rare nowadays, and it's not an accident. It's to do with the social convention. And so these, we're participating in it too, but obviously it's good to, that we can come to terms and say, no, that's not what I'm doing anymore because I understand myself and I understand my being. But at the same time, there's other people participating with us too. And doesn't make them less culpable. I think. I think we just project so much blame. Not us here in this conversation, but you mm-hmm. know that outside of this conversation, well, it's men. Well, it's women. Well, it's this. It's that. It's like, well, let's look at ourselves first. You know. Yeah, yeah man. I mean, I think that's where it starts. I mean, I, we probably say this over and over again. We, a lot of people have been through a lot of shit. You just shared and opened up a little bit about your story. And you can sit there when you were younger, you can sit there and be a victim to it. And there's nothing wrong with, with, I mean, being a victim, like people are victimized, but then what do you do with it? You know, do you spend 30, 40 years, like, like living and making choices from that trauma that you haven't um, decided is worthy enough to look at, you know, and to deal with. And, and I think uh, what you talked about before um, and Joel and I speak about this, the, the ground is so fertile right now for people to really discover their essence and to do the, the deep inner work. I mean, I'm, I'm receiving calls and emails from people, the work that we're doing in our group coaching program, people are, are like done with it. You know, there are people that are like, man, I've, I've been through these relationships. I'm attracting the same person over and over again. Like in the past, I would just blame them, but fuck it. You know, the common denominator is me. What am I going to do about it? You know, like I want to change. I want to be a different uh, person. I want to grow. I want to be a better example to my children. I want to be a better son. I want to, I just ultimately want to be a better person and feel joy and, and, and feel bliss in the fact that I have a body and that I'm here and that and, and right now, you know, experiencing life, you know, and I just, I, I, I'm excited by that, even though the world is fucking insane and crazy and all this shit's going on, there is also like that element of society where people are fired up right now they're fired up yeah. to do the work. They're fired up because they see the, that there's an opportunity to really like evolve to a certain place and create this, this life that I think they could only dream about. Dreams are important. And I think it reminds us of things that we need to really it, imagination, man. It's it really expanding mm. the imagination. I think we're so constricted. It's no mistake, you know, just to kind of externalize the conversation. There's no mistake that just American movies in general, because, you know, we're based on, uh, I'm based here, are just tribe again and again and again, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. That's not a mistake. That the whole architecture of American structures, buildings is gray, it's dull without any 
colors and everything. It's no mistake. That's just a resemblance of how devoid of human passion we are and how okay we are with it. And I think once we start dancing to the way of life, people are going to catch on and you're right. They're coming across and they say, Hey, well, like I actually want to live. I don't want to just you know, yeah. carry over with this stuff. And, and you just need to be the walking example of it. Like, yeah, we can read the books. Yeah, we can teach people. But man, if you're walking around lit up, like you mentioned before, if you're walking around lit up and fired up and healthy and your skin's glowing and you're excited to be and you're grounded, you're not fucking like pseudo spiritual, like I'm an ascended master, but you're like real, man. Like you're real. You're talking about like some deep shit. You're talking about the stuff that lights you up. You t- you're just a real human being. People are like, yo, fuck, man. Like I want some of that for myself. That's that's yeah. what I found, man. And I'm not sitting here saying I'm like this fucking like enlightened person that has all the answers, but like, man, like, fuck, I, I love life. I love who I am. I love what I'm doing. I love that the three of us are here right now having this conversation. I have deep respect for both of you. And life is fucking awesome. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and you know, really, you can find a way to kind of mess with people gently, of course, because I got to tell you. As I already understand myself, my archetype is that of a gesture. And so mm. my name, Hector, you know, I hector people with these <laughs> annoying things that I do. But I do them because of pleasure, because I, I find it funny, I find it humorous. I mean, there's so many things that people kind of kind of like just kind of beyond and right underneath their nose, they kind of forget about like reality. That's, that's the awful part where we escape reality and we only find the inner reality, no matter how far we escape we tend to go back to the inner reality. And if we don't take care of that, that's where everything is like, oh, this is ugly. This is bleak. It must be them. It must be them. And then there's someone someone ready to give you a solution. That's the awful part. Some people do act like vultures and they take on the misery of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love what you said before about imagination, man, because my view is what is, a, what is an expanded consciousness and a more integrated being uh, an an individuated self than 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 that you know what i mean like the more you know yourself the more parts of you that you have access to the more you can imagine the more you can see the more you can accept within yourself the more the the less you have to project out onto others and so uh imagination is key man right right and i think that's what people should be exercising in general individuals people just as a word you know can mean anything but individually speaking Practicing your own imagination is like creating life. You are expanding life. And I think it goes back again to uh, this philosophical thing I'm, I'm putting forth in my writing, where it's like, you're not necessarily just a happenstance. You're not just a reaction. The world is not a constant flux of irrationality and weirdness. You create life with your essence. The very possibilities that are the backdrop of your being, once you actualize that into the world, you're creating that reality. And that is the most beautiful thing. You're you're penning your own existence and no one can take that away from you. That's the major, I think that's a major contention of these uh, powers that shouldn't be. They're trying to penetrate that space and take over human humanity's imagination. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the, the thing is, most people are scared to tap into that. Most people are scared to be great. Most people are scared to imagine and to think that it's actually an, an actuality that's possible in their life. Most people are scared to work themselves, work on themselves, to build themselves up, to succeed, to win even because of, you know, obviously the huge conditioning and programming that we're up against. And for me, that's that's where the real reclamation of the individual comes in, is in your capacity to act upon what you're willing to imagine as well. And so 
actualize that. Right, and I'm going to give you a counterpoint, maybe. Yep. As a synthesis, perhaps it can elucidate other points. Action is good, but here's the other Tao, one thing we should consider. Inaction is also as good. So remember, as individuals, we, we, are, we are the side guys. We are moving it forward. We are embracing our life. Now, for those who are inactive and passive and in the background, they're observing things. Yeah. Even though they might not be focused on it, remember, our body retains that information. Our body retains these experiences. And so the more inaction that they are brewing, it's kind of come to a point where they click and act. And that is the most beautiful thing that where I don't actually lament a lot of the things that people talk about, meaning gloom and doom, everything's going to end. I actually don't mm -hmm. think it's that way whatsoever. Yeah. I think we're at a precipice in which humanity by its own essence, just do it. This is natural. This happens so many times. And they're trying to preemptively, they, the technocratic elite, super class, they're trying to preempt our reaction. That's why they're trying to model our behavior so that they can be a step ahead and be like, no, 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 that alleyway is closed for you. But there are so many ways to approach this and it doesn't require brute force. For me personally, my approach, why I focus on it a lot is, while I've had all these conversations with people, you know, I'm not necessarily trying to be on the forefront because my idea of what it should be is human engagement on a one-to-one -one basis is so important and people's biases and perception can be deconstructed within a couple of the engagements. I'll tell you this in a funny joke, in a funny way. Well, is it like I tell someone, okay, I'm a shaman. Well, where are your crystals? Where's your tattoos? Where are your uh, gauge piercings? Where, where are they? You don't have the uniform. I, I cannot trust you. And mm. so that's the funny part. I specifically present myself as a nobody, as a fly on the wall, because I want to see what people's perception are. Once you understand that, then you can be the jester in their court. And then you can show them their hypocrisy, their criticism in a gentle, playful way without having to attack or hurt them. But this is just my journey. I'm just saying yeah. that's my approach. And that's the beautiful thing is that we all have unique parts. We all have unique roles to play. We all have unique archetypes, unique ways of being. Um, and the moment that we stop projecting that there's one person that we need to follow who has all the answers, who's set the tone for us to attempt to reach on some level, we're beginning to reclaim the essence of who we are as individuals. And the fact that that's, the, that's that individual essence which we're here to tap into. There and uh, you know we we feel that within ourselves these different archetypes these different roles that we're here to play but are we able to sit with them are we able to embody them? Yeah, and personally, I I'm more likely to be drawn to someone who doesn't look like a spiritual person who doesn't look like a shaman who isn't wearing all the jewelry and the things and saying the stuff and doing the posts and the uh, like and using the new the new flavor of the month word you know like. Uh, like you know what i'm saying like I, i'd be like oh hector cool man you're wearing a t-shirt you're chilling like let's let's get deep let's have a conversation you know like that's what i care about okay, personally again this is me someone else and they might you know like oh you're wearing an orange robe cool i shall kneel down before you give me the, the meaning and the answer to <laughs> life Inshallah. Uh, and i won't eat i won't eat for for two weeks and then once i not once i actually do eat and then maybe i'll get the meaning of life you know what i mean like i'm not into that like I wear a fucking backwards army hat every freaking podcast interview, you know, people can judge me. People can think I have something important to offer. Okay, great. But I don't need to try to look like deep or spiritual. Like I have knowledge. Like, what does that mean? Like, what is, 
if I look up smart and intelligent in the dictionary, will there be a picture of someone who's wearing a feather on their head or, you know, mala beads? I, like, come on. I'll say this as a proviso. If you are in a battlefield, and I say generally speaking as a metaphor, because mm. this is never ending war. If you are in the battlefield, I do wear the uniform. And I wear the uniform to distract and deceive and to say, oh, hey, I am one of you. Yes, I wear the okay. uniform. Okay. And then, boom. <laughs> Yeah, man. The reason I tell you that is because um, I, I do gonzo journalism. So sometimes I will cover a sports event or I will cover a political event. And the best way that I was able to engage with politicians is to use the political rhetoric. I was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here, sir. I'm so glad you're here gracing us with your opinion. And then one or two questions into it, boom, I slap them with, hey, so what about the Bush founding the crime family and Nazis and all this stuff? What's going on with that? Dude, if you watch that video, even though it's kind of like low quality from like 10 years ago, that was the major takeaway for me. If I can just show the hypocrisy of a politician within yeah. two or three questions, ah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, but, but, that's, but for me, that's 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 an expanded consciousness. That's understanding you have many different aspects of yourself. And the more you have access to, the more potential you have for success in different situations. So for you in that situation, you're like, well, let me put on the part of me that's, you know, wear the suit and tie and and speak a certain way just to get in. Like, I, I think that's um that's more beneficial, in my opinion. I don't know. If, I don't know right. if that may like I just feel like like if you're just like so pigeonholed and you, you sound the same, you walk the same, you talk the same, you wear the same clothes 24 seven. Like, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's less opportunity for you to, to have a certain impact. Right. I agree with you, man. I think you're right. You know. I know you're right. I don't think. I know you're right, man. I know you're right. I know I'm right too, damn it. <laughs> hey, let's, let's, let's start a movement of how we're right and correct. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, well, that's, that's the awful part though. So yeah. Uh, go ahead. No, no, no worries, man. I just I just love, man. It's obviously, it's obvious hearing you talk, man, the level of research, the 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 intention that you have behind uh, everything you've gone into throughout your life and you you speak eloquently. So I'm just curious, man, like like who are some of the, I know you mentioned Michael and Jordan Maxwell, but who are some like great masters of the past authors that have had a huge impact on you? Okay, so or maybe great books that you might want to talk about. Definitely uh, the greatest teaching of all ages to me. That was just a, a dictionary uh, finding out. Um, Nietzsche was also a pivotal a pivotal philosopher for me. Uh, I had I had formal philosophy training to some extent and in college, but most of the work that I did was looking into further than just the basic curriculum. So Nietzsche was a great thinker for me. Schopenhauer actually opened up a lot of things for me, uh, minus the misanthropy, which is, it could be a crutch. And the Tao, I also studied the Tao and that was great as well. But really it's, it's weird, man. But I gotta tell you, when I was a young kid, 12 years old, one of my favorite things to do was open up the laptop and listen to Michael Tessarian for hours. <laughs> Dude, it's not weird at all, man. Like this little, like I, I told someone the other day, I was like, they were like, well, who, you know, what, who's had the greatest influence impact on your life? And I have to, I'd have to say he has, man, just because of the, the things that he has, the, the information he's brought forth, the information he has synthesized, all this stuff. I mean, my wife and I did a road trip from from Switzerland to Rome, and we listened. We had it was a twenty five hour drop, twenty five hour drive, and all we do is listen to unslaved episodes. You know, 
good so, time. So, so it was a great time, you know, but because it's like the, you think about like an individual who has synthesized a lot of material and who's able to present it in a way like to me, that's just like, man, that's just fuel. Like I, I just get so excited by it, you know? Um, so anyways, I cut you off because I got excited because this podcast wouldn't it's have, cool, man. wouldn't have this wouldn't have existed without that man. You know, like my wife and I were on, were on his show talking about somatic intelligence. Joel saw it. He reached out to me. We realized we were brothers, you know, and, and we, we had a deep passion for truth and knowledge and wanting to share that knowledge. And here we are, man, like 16 months later, 85 episodes later, doing our thing, having a conversation with you. And, you know, you're dropping some knowledge, you're dropping some wisdom, man, based on your experience and your education. And like, this is the shit that lights me up, man. Like, you know, I get excited. You think I'm going to go out to a bar and get fucked up all night, smoke weed all day and do all this shit. No, nah, man. Like, I'd rather just talk about this stuff all the time. I intuitively knew something was cooking. I intuitively knew something was cooking. I, I can tell you this because I, reading, when I read a book, I really want to delve into it. And Carl Gustav Jung's synchronicity, I've been pursuing that thought, train of thought for a while. And because I'm trying to work on my own and create most of my work, I give it a pause. And now I've been reading Michael Tessarian's articles. And synchronicity is a lot of the stuff he's been talking or re-examining with William Blake, Spangler, and others, and especially his series on personalism, are literally coinciding with what I'm doing. Your story about how you met this friend because you went on his show and it created this family of this growing connection, well, that's exactly what happened with me too. And so what I've been intuitively feeling, I don't know if this is by accident or intentional, but thinking how there's big brains in this conversation and in that community, I honestly think we're the nascent network growing in the background because the success, after I did my whole uh, podcast, I met someone who's a lifelong brother as well, and we're building something in the background. So many great things are happening, and I'm super excited. So this confirms it, too. Cool. Yeah, man. Me, too. I'm excited. There's, I mean, one thing that, the, the one thing that I've definitely learned from that man is the fact that there's no coincidences, um, mm. you know? And we, as we discussed in our previous podcast with Michael as well, intuition is such a misconstrued concept. Um, but you've touched on this a couple of times, so I'd like to get a bit deeper. What is Carl Jung's take on synchronicity? Okay, so it's difficult to encapsulate it, but what? let me just explain it this way. To your point of what people believe intuition or synchronicity. So people, uh, people will say, well, I see this number, five, six, seven, repeat it. It must mean something. Yeah. Well, they don't actually understand the philosophy of time or the qualitative nature of numbers. You actually have to read the science, the history of science and how they see numbers as quantity and quality to understand how that has completely changed the perspective of how people see time themselves and synchronicity. So with Carl Gustav, what he was talking about is that Coincidences or synchronicity is irrational and acausal, meaning they exist above our linear sequential time. And when we consider that the space, our inner space, is more to do not necessarily with mathematics. So a lot of philosophers like Spinoza and others, they imagine that the external world matched the internal world, just like there's space outside with geometry and all these other abstract forms like Plato. Well, 
philosophers at that time, 1700, 1800s, believed that they're also an internal space, and that internal space was geometrical. Well, the difference with Carl Gustav Jung, I like saying the whole thing, so this, excuse yeah, me. Uh, the going to him, well, you actually have to deconstruct all of that, and you have to get rid of all of that in order to, uh, to arrive to the point of irrational coincidences, because irrational coincidences are significant beyond even our understanding. We think in sequential past, present, and future. And we, when we try to fit a coincidence or a, or a synchronicity in that timeline, we're doing an a, a, a injustice because it's not about that. So in my opinion, from just reading his stuff, is that the seasons of time allow for certain ideas, allow for certain activities. And when we actually connect to that transcendental time, we can guide ourselves through these irrational costs, acausal activities or phenomenological activities that have no real explanation. All is mine, but your personal experience qualifies that coincidence. It's not the number. It's not some guy in a book. You yourself have to qualify that experience. It goes back to what we talked about, how your soul essence creates reality. It's the same thing. Your soul essence, once it's actually intuitive, intuitively connected to transcendental time or the overarching essence of time, then you're able to guide yourself with these irrational, acausal, phenomenological things. And that's, I mean, for me, that's my current interpretation, but it will continue to grow. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if it's irrational, it's acausal, but it has a meaning to you and you're the one creating that meaning, then it is synchronicity. Looking at a clock, and it says five, 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 and I'm thinking this thought, that's not synchronicity. That's your linear way of thinking. So, so that's a big, big uh, difference, I think, may help people understand what synchronicity is. But it, uh, I mean, there's so much more to it. Yeah. I hope I can explain it all. I hope that gives you some uh, idea of what I'm talking about. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, man. Joel, you can say something. Well, I mean, synchronicity is definitely a reality to me. And this transcending time that you're referencing to, what I've found true for myself is that the more in touch with myself that I am, the more I am able to honor my organic impulses, recognize my projections. Synchronicity seems to be a much more pertinent reality for me um, than when I'm not. So I think as, as, as we, as we, not that we can, but as we begin to shift or exit the the linear construct, so to speak, um, we exit short-term gratification. We start thinking bigger picture. We let our imagination guide us and we honor, we truly honor ourselves on that journey. Then what I've found is that synchronicities, as as I've said, become far more rampant than than knots, just from personal experience. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit a key thing that you just mentioned. It's connected to metabolism. The internal world is connected to your metabolism. So the mind, your experience is connected to that. So consciousness has a lot to do with many things, not just your mind, but your physical body and your transcendental essence. So what you're saying, I agree with it. I don't think we have a disagreement in that. I think what you just said explains it better. In order to actually understand it, you need to personalize it. That's the best way to actually understand the meaning personalize it yeah mm. like the no no one can deny the the serendipitous moments of reality like it's you, you can't deny that there's something pulling you or calling you 
in, in, in a certain direction and those signposts that just somehow present themselves along the way and like without any other possible explanation, um, you know, like it's, that's, that's just, yeah. you're right. It's, it's, it's irrational, but it's, it's, it's a reality. Yeah. Well, even, even you had mentioned on, a, I think it was on the Unslaved podcast that I, I don't know how old you were. You were a young person. You were a young man. I think you're on a bus and you looked over and there was a copy of the Fountainhead, you know? Like what of all the books that could be next to you on the bus, there's exactly. a thousand page book written by someone who I think is the most misaligned uh, human in the philosophical world. But you could talk more about that. Yeah. When I saw that book, it opened up my world and I was I actually, I prefer that book. And instead of Atlas Shrugged, I prefer the Fountainhead. A lot of people love the Atlas Shrugged, but I prefer Fountainhead. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, it opened up a whole world for me because it's really went into further into individualism and how it really relates to the world around us. And sometimes, you know, the mob is beset against us. They really just see us as tools. And I was like, hey, that sounds like familiar to me. Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you this, going back to the topic, and we can we can come back on, on that, Joel. I know you were going to say something, but I'm just curious, like, because you're going like, to reference many, on Rand and don't let me say anything. Come on, all right. Yeah, go, go, I'm, joking, go. I'm joking. We'll go back. We'll go back to Ayn Rand. Uh, uh, but I've had so many experiences in my life because uh, we were bringing out circuits. Uh, we we're talking about synchronicity where like I've dreamed about someone and then I've woken up to an email from them or yeah. I was in New York City when I lived in New York City and I had a thought about a person and the subway doors opened and they walked right out like like shit like that. Or like I thought about a movie and I pressed a channel and the, and, and, and that the movie was playing. Like, I mean, that's happened hundreds of times in my life. What is that from your okay. perspective? Great. Awesome. <laughs> awesome question. Thank you for asking that question. In our tradition, what we call that in Mesoamerican tradition, that's called dream bridging. Dream bridging. So it's this phenomena where through meditation, you're able to, telepathy is real actually, but it's not what we think. And I'm going to give you different examples trying to give you not just one outlook, but different outlook. For example, ancient Chinese martial artists refer to as radar, radar fighting, where you're able to understand all your surroundings and you can predict what the next move is. So they call it radar fighting. Well, for us, it's this idea that you exist throughout all these different times. So there's this article where I say uh, it's titled Time to Redefine Ourselves. And hopefully people will look into it, but it's very simple. The idea is because there's these all these layers of different time, once you're able to transcendentally or metaphysically go beyond just the short-term metabolic drives, eat, 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 you know, party, 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 you kind of are able to tap into these things. And once you're able to do that, you can practice this thing called dream bridging. And the CIA has so many projects on this. It's actually, they've actually confirmed this several years, but it, it didn't get so much fanfare because there's so many bad things happening that people don't care if they can actually project and actually, you know, influence the material world. So this idea of dream bridging can be practiced, but the lab is the subjective experience. Your qualifying experience. This is how you do metaphysical science. Your lab is your experience. So before you go to bed or before you, you know, try to dream or whatever, and if you get some thoughts, dreams, persons, places, names. Once you do that, you are interconnecting two different quantum possibilities. And actually, scientifically speaking, they've analyzed 
the mind, the neural chemistry of the mind and the neural networks of it. And they've noticed that there are quantum states. There's quantum spookiness here in the brain, in the mind, but the mind's above the brain. So that means that if you're able to meditate and connect these phenomenological different experiences that are a causal, irrational, well, I just went to this place and this bus and this book was there, and all of a sudden it changed my life. What does it actually mean? Well, what, what connection do I find there? That is the important part. Finding that connection and focusing on that connection and meditating on the connection, you will continue increasing the frequency of this phenomenon. So if you're interested, research into dream bridging. That'd be cool. something to, to look into. Cool, thank you. Joel, do you want to go back to Ayn Rand? <laughs> yes, please. Let's go back to Ayn Rand. I'll talk to you about Ayn Rand too. <laughs> what can I possibly say about Ayn Rand, man? Like, I mean, to me, that's just another another serendipitous account. Are. And I, this really speaks to, I guess, this whole conversation of one thing leading into the next thing, leading you to the next thing, you know? Um, Mike, Michael Tessarian led me to, to Eurasmos and that led me to Ayn Rand and led me to read Atlas Shrugged and pretty much fucking blew my entire world apart. You know, for the first time in my life, I was able to actually recognize the greatness with, with, within myself. I was able to recognize the, the virtue of productivity, of rationality, of being purposefully creative, of not compromising, of not holding back, of not having to subdue myself for the people around me who aren't really, really willing to meet their potential in the same way that, that I might be to me, like she just cleansed my entire life. Unlike um, anyone else, really. That's, that, that's, that's my starting point for, for, for Ayn Rand. Right. Sitting against the crowd to me. Uh, well, you like Atlas Shrugged and I didn't mean any disrespect. By saying I've read that. both. I've read both. I, 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 I can't wait to <laughs> yeah. I just stop halfway. It's like, no, I, I'm going to go back to Fountainhead. <laughs> no, but the one All thing right, let's was, go. You got, you have 10, you, each of you have 10 reasons why one book is better than the other book. <laughs> go. No, okay. okay. Number one reason, uh, the lovemaking was more passionate. <laughs> okay. There you go. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the Atlas Shrug love making scenes. I mean, I I mean, I I read the ones about the head. I was like, no, 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 this is not good. Uh, of course, this is just jest, but <laughs> this is just jest. But in reality, really, the main takeaway was like standing tall against the crowd. So we were originally talked about demographics or people, and I didn't want to make it into like these people, that people, that people, but the spirit of a people. Well, the spirit of my people is generally collective. Yep. It's, it's very collectivized because of many historical reasons I'm not going to go into. Main thing is I would always stand out. And that's one thing that really bothered me. And reading Fountainhead made me realize I don't really care what effect does it have on me. If I actually followed their influences, it would make me miserable and I would not be happy. So the hell with them. I don't care if I'm to this, I'm to that, whatever. That's their business. I'm going to do what I need to do for myself. I love that book, man. <laughs> Yeah. Why do you, why do you, uh, we'll talk on that, but what is it that you think makes you different? Like where, you know, if you go back to your family in Mexico and maybe you're sharing all the things that you're doing and they're just like, all right, whatever, they're not interested. Or they're just like, you know, you doing what you do and living how you live reflects to them their unlived potential. And so most people don't sit with that and can sit with that vulnerability of, oh, maybe what, how he's living is right and how I'm living is not ideal. And uh, they don't they don't want to live with that. So they dismiss it or they judge it, they ridicule it. Like, I'm, I've always been so curious of like, 
what is it that causes a person to be like, yo, I am willing to challenge all my belief systems. I'm willing to stand apart, to rise above the herd, to go against the teachings of, of let's say my church or go against the teachings of my parents or, or just like, what like, is it like soul evolution? Is it your astrology? Is it your human? It's like, I'm just so fascinated. Like, what is it in a person that's like, oh, the last two years, like the, 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 the like February, 2020, like scam. And then someone else is just like, what do you mean? No, we have to do what they tell us. You know, like, I'm just fascinated by that. To answer your question, the reason is that I had a very, um, take it for whatever it is. I don't, you know, I had a very paranormal early childhood. In my village, Agualulco, which is outside of San Luis Potosí, which is the capital, and it's St. Louis, you know, and there's so much more to it. There's Masonic. Uh, there's a lot of things going on over there. Anyway, yeah. When I was a young kid, I had an apparition and I saw a beast-like creature, what archetypically is known as the devil. But in my village, because we come from the mountains, we had open space. So most of my childhood, I spent by myself and I would spend going through all these different alleyways of thought and ideas and certain weird events kept happening. That is what gave me the resolve of being able to stand on my own. It's that I'm actually obsessed with a good story. I actually want to know the spooky stuff that's going all around. Art Bell was the major thing for me. I want to know all that spooky stuff. And the more I try to do it and share it with people, I realized it killed the magic because they didn't see it. They didn't believe it. They didn't know what I was talking about. But just through all these trials and tribulations, I kept on questioning it and challenging it. One of the reasons I, I'm so, I guess you could call it, call it Randian or I'm more into Sterner, but in general, like I really resent the idea that this is not my own creation, that I'm not making the choice, that I'm the one making this path because throughout all of this stuff and especially reporting in the COVID-1984, that's what I call it, COVID-1984, I was among the first, and I'm sure a lot of people are, writing articles, debunking the whole thing. I mean, all the stuff that I wrote about two years ago, I have this annoying thing I do. I look into the mainstream articles and I say, look, confirm, look, confirm. And I go through all that just so people are aware. Look, I don't care if a gaggle of people support me or don't. I'm going to tell you what I think and what I really have researched. And that has given me much more resolve than anything else because of what I realized, it's a matter of time. And that's how it is now. It's a matter of time. And now people are really tuning in, you know? To me, like that period, that was like the last, the last time where I felt any drive to like try to save people or convince anyone of anything. You know, it, it was during that where I think for a lot of people as well, not just me, I realized there's no fuck, there's there's no point. Like this is hurting me and this is hurting you. It's like I see what I see, and this is my opportunity to remove all the dependence, all the entanglements that I have with. Me, me, me needing to either project myself um, or, or the way I see the world onto you and just go, go on and live my life according to my values, according to my virtues, according to my desires. And when you're ready, you know, sure, may, 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 maybe my path will be um, a signpost for you. Maybe not. It doesn't matter. It's just time to, it's time to do my thing. I understand that frustration. I understand that frustration because uh, that's this is why... I try to encapsulate it where it's it's not an appeal to reason, even if it's like their survival is at stake. Because I thoroughly, 
I thoroughly tried to debunk the national, the state, and the local news stories because I also managed communities in different areas. Like I used to manage the liberal free thinkers, and even people who were participating in that also were kind of captivated by the COVID-1984. It was a great reset of ideas because the whole nexus of, or political side guys of people waking up or being able to make that soft jump. It's easy to make a soft jump or just say, oh, okay, well, everybody's talking about it. I mean, Joe Rogan's talking about it. So it's okay for me to accept it nowadays. That momentum was completely reset. So yeah, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Hmm. What are we going to call this episode, bro? Pornography, synchronicity, and on random? <laughs> <laughs> Mad vibes with three locals. <laughs> yeah, dude. Love, love those, man, for sure. You got to kind of be crazy in like the good way, you know, to, to live this life, to choose this path, to like to, to walk the Siddhartha road, to like to look inwards, to look in the mirror and, and question like who you are, why you are, what you do, you know, like again, like that those are the things that have always fascinated me you know definitely more so as i got like older once i once kind of i went went to college or left college i got really into like the fuck am i here like for like what's my purpose like like, what are my interests you know i grew up first generation greek american you know i'm I'm very blessed i loving parents that came to this country with like with nothing and and worked and provided and like most of the most of the kids i grew up with man like and you know, I got I got love and respect, love and respect for for a lot of them. I don't really talk to many of them, but like they just they just kind of like I knew they had greater dreams, and then there was something that kept them either like they were bribed by their parents or they were afraid or whatever the case may be, and they just kind of chose a different path. Doesn't mean they're not happy doing what they're doing now, but but it's just like I I, I had to leave the nest. I had to 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 go on a different journey, you know. It's like, a, it's, like it's, I, a, it's a refusal to compromise. There's just something in the individual that finds themselves here. It's like it's, it prevents them from completely capitulating the, the 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 truth and the feeling and the essence of who they are. Like 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 we've spoken about many times. Yeah. I mean, I was raised as a fucking Jehovah's Witness to find myself here. Like that's some of the deepest programming and conditioning that anyone can start life in, so to speak. But there's just something where it's like rejecting yeah. the shit that doesn't fit, you know. And eventually. I guess, you know, you, you move through the debris and you actually have your own motivations reinforced to you. And through that process and through getting results and through feeling contentment and through discovering inner riches and discovering inner truths, you, you build self-esteem. And then all of a sudden, the, 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 the momentum shifts and it's like, hang on, what if I'm right? And what if for the first time I'm able to be okay in, in, in me being right? And be okay in the uh, in actually being like, okay, no, you guys are wrong. I don't I don't need to take all that on board anymore. Yeah. Right, that's right. That's the second step. The first step is knowing ourselves and being grounded in reality. Yes. Second step is calling the spade a spade. Yeah. That's the major problem that I see myself in the past, and I'm claiming responsibility. The one thing in my life that I think to this day has prevented me from manifesting fully is not calling a spade a spade because I want this, I want that, but I don't want them to know that I want this because if they know, I'm not going to want it. They're not going to give it to me. And it's like this will to power thing where we're not actually listening or engaging with life. We're just trying to bend other wills and you know shape them to accommodate our desires. And it's no, it's a will to meaning. 
once you get the will to meaning, that's when life really opens up their, its doors. And I think happens with everybody else too. They start recognizing, no, this, this guy is right. This guy is solid. He's a leader. And that's people yeah, follow yeah. that. Yeah. There's just something, again, there's just something in an individual's essence, you know, again, I, I'm a student of some divination arts and more esoteric sciences that can shine a light on maybe your purpose in, in life. And, and I, I found that that's um, brought me some insights into why I'm different or, or who I am. But like, I'm just, I don't know. I just, it's so interesting to think about, like I was raised a people pleaser. And even though I was a people pleaser, there's still, that was that, there was still that part of me that was like, I still want to do what I want to fuck to do. I want to do, but I was a people pleaser in other areas of my life. But when it came down to ultimately like, all right, turning that page, turn, that chapter's over. What's the next chapter? Like, oh, that doesn't work for me. You know what? I'm leaving this job and I'm going to just take my savings and travel around the world. Oh, that's not worried. Like this is, it was just, again, this is where intuition comes in, where there's, there's some connection to that wisdom within you where you're just like, this is what's right for me and I'm going to do it. Like other people may think I'm crazy, but that's yeah. okay. Like it, it, it lights you up for a fucking reason. <laughs> like it's not, it's not an accident. The thing that you're passionate about, the thing that really excites you. Like, what if that's not just some kind of fucking unconscious program? What if you don't have to be in an antagonistic relationship with your passions? What if you can just fucking feel that fully and let that guide you? Let that be a guiding force in your life. Maybe it means something. Yeah. It's everything that you asked for. <laughs> yeah. and, and, life, and life will ultimately reflect back to you whether or not the choice was maybe ideal for you. Because again, this is where it's interesting when you talk about intuition. People are like, I'm following my intuition. It's like, no, you're not. You're a highly traumatized, unhealed person, and you're making decisions from that place. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be a dick, but like, like, look at the person's life. It's a shit show. I was going like, to say like, something you've, worse. You've been I'm following your intuition, and you've been following your intuition over and over again. Your life's shit. Your relationship's shit. You hate your career. Like, maybe it's not your intuition. Maybe it's something else, you know? So, because I feel like the proof is in the pudding. Like, what is your life like? How do you feel about yourself? How are your relationships? Are you doing work that inspires you? Like that should shine a light on whether or not like you're you're honoring some inner code or you're like just lost. That doesn't mean like part of your journey is not be, like I was I felt lost at certain points in my life, but that was part of it. You know what I mean? But I just feel like there's got to be some some uh, gauge is, or subjective objective gate. What is reality reinforcing your intuition? Intuition, right or not? Yeah. Right, that's the best way to connect. Well, that's why I'm, I'm kind of presupposing the synchronicity will be the best way to guide your intuition. Because when I mentioned the new war, and this is a bit of a complicated thing, so I'm, I'm going to try to keep it simplified. The artificial intelligence in the cyber domain picks up all of your ideas, all of your thoughts in real time. It's deconstructing your personality in real time. They have a psychological profile up to date. So they understand sequentially what your activities or your choices based on your past habits and desires, what you're going to do. So there are lines of information fed to you from the artificial intelligence that is not really intelligent. It's just simulating intelligence. And it guides people to believe, well, this is synchronicity. I see 555. This is yeah. synchronicity. Well, it's a little bit of very sophisticated, nuanced thing. <clears throat> Because the cyber domain is real, but it's also controlled and manipulated by the world's the power that shouldn't be. So when we're entrained with our focus, meaning in our 
inauthentic self we are projecting our focus onto these networks well it's leading us astray the more we detach ourselves and divorce ourselves from that reality and take it for what it is and intuitively guide ourselves in synchronicity that is when we start connecting with reality that's when reality is affirming what we're doing but it really have we have to step outside of our own bias i hope that makes sense because yeah. that's the major point that's going on here man like do an experiment because we all have all these smart devices. Start thinking out loud, one item, one thing, one activity, do not communicate it to anyone. Do it for an hour, do it for two hours. And then revisit your feed, revisit all of these algorithms that you engage yourself with and see what the result is. That is the new war. Non-linear, asymmetrical warfare against human agency, basically, overriding existential essence through technotronic means. I hope that elucidates what I'm trying to talk. Yeah. Yeah, it does. You don't even need to, this is what blows my mind. I don't know if my my internet's a little unstable right now. You're fine. Oh, you, you don't even need to talk it out loud. What blows my mind is I think something and I haven't even said it to anyone or looked it up online and I see something on my newsfeed, you know? That's what's trippy. How? How? Right. I don't know. Dude, <laughs> dude, it's even worse, man. And I'm not it's the only even... one that said this. I've had other friends tell me the same thing. Yeah, no, dude, I've, I've, I've had the same experience. I've had the same experience. Dude, this is even worse. And a lot of us are not talking about it. Actually, what you're saying is just the very first step. What they really are doing in real time. I am a media fanatic, dude. I've been like plugged into it. They're tokenizing these life paths. Literally, they're conditioning you to embrace materialistic life paths. You're thinking yourself original thoughts, quote unquote, but they're Mm -hmm. being peppered inside of your mindset and your perception is being entrained. And then they were going to delineate certain life paths and they're going to tokenize your essence. Oh, hey, you're suffering from depression? Check this multi-billion dollar industry of of fitness. And they sell you this product, this technology, which is going to help you become better meditation, better physical prowess, better reading, better all this other stuff. So they're going to create all these tools, which they already have. All the education is actually being overrided by technology as we speak. So they're going to actually enhance, quote unquote, that's what they're saying, enhance your reality, your individual essence with artificial intelligence. That type of war is very different because... In this hyper-real or post-truth world, no one's going to know what the terrain is because the whole mapping of reality has been completely fragmented. And that is the battle that we're facing because you're going to hear a lot of people agreeing with you, saying, yeah, of course, of course, but check this guy out. He, he just came out of nowhere. He has all these followers and he's really hitting it hard. Go talk to him. Go see him. And then you think, oh, yeah, they're part of the solution. Oh, no. Consensus cracking. They're doing it in a grand scheme and it's automated. So that's why I say cautious with entering these conspiracies. You really have to check yeah. your own psychology. A- A- Andrew Tate comes to mind immediately when you when you just said that just then. Yes, but I, I was saying this, it. I've never even heard about this dude until two days ago. Yeah, neither, neither. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> dude, yes, and it gets even, my God, dude, it's a whole industry because- Okay, not only Andrew Tate, man. It's like, I don't want to insult people's holy cows, 
Because what one thing is doing your homework and the other thing is pretending to do your homework. Many people don't want to do that. They want to be part of a conversation without actually doing research. So that's why they go into Andrew Tate. That's why they go into all that. And also the psychological malfunction. People don't have fathers, dude. There are no heroic masculine fathers. The only ones that there is are these contrarians that if you go deeper into their networks, guess who they're connected to? The military industrial complex. Guess the same operators. And I'm going to mention this name, Roger Stone. People take mm-hmm. it for granted that this individual is a sexual deviant. One, okay, why is it so important? Because once you actually analyze the dark triad, if you go into my articles, I mentioned the antihero and catharsis. All these movies portray the dark triad, the dark night. The dark night actually was instrumental in bringing about the police brutalization, meaning it allowed for people to accept it and suspend their disbelief. They're doing this on purpose. Same thing with these contrarian networks. It allows for people to suspend a disbelief. They're telling me something I already feel. I am angry. Yeah. Oh my God, I need to subscribe. And then we're powering up all these different networks and all the valuable conversation, the actual engagement that gets ignored. So I'm not participating in that. And I'm so glad you invited me so I can continue building the conversation. Yeah. And like this to me is why Rand is the creme de la creme for dealing with today's age. Because she taught you the greatest lesson of the 21st century of how to value your own life. And if you value your own life, if your value system is self-chosen, your life path is not going to be hijacked by any of the bullshit that we're talking about because your motivation is going to be based on what, what's required for your life in the moment. Now, you're not going to be pulled by anything else. You're going to use rationality. You're going to use reason. You're going to ground, embody, and realize what's the thing that I need to do next if it's true that I value the self. Right, man. You need to be selfish with your own experience above all else. Not that it's a solipsism, like you exist within your own self. Mm-hmm. No, it's like you understand that you're the author of your reality. Yeah. Giving that away to anyone else betrays your dreams and corrupts your imagination. And that sublimation of the self will eventually just lead you down, descending down the ladder of divinity. And it's awful. And I see it frequently, but it, people can escape that. It's just a matter of being, feeling. That's the key. Yeah. Hmm. What do you, um, you know, we had someone on the last episode, um, Etienne de la Boite, too. He's a squared. Uh, that's a square. Yes, two squared. This is uh, Nom de Plume. You know, he wrote a book called uh, Government, the Biggest Scam Ever. He's a voluntarist. Like, what do you think are this is the solution moving forward? Like, like, do you believe there's a role for government? Like, what what is your what is what right, are your so thoughts? I mentioned Sterner. So that should give you a clue that I am an individualist. Yeah. You may not know this because I'm not, I didn't put it in the, um, you know, in the notes, but I've cross-pollinated left libertarianism, right libertarianism. I have attended Acapulco and I've had interviews with James Corbett. Uh, there's journalism mm-hmm. in Mexico, corruption and lies. So I've, I've frequented anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, individualist. The solution to a lot of these things is Understanding what the historical context, one of the major criticisms of American American libertarianism, personally, for me, I'm writing a book about these other issues that I've uh, experienced for years, uh, done a lot of activism with these individuals. They're great people. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm just trying to color something. 
the historical context is missing. So a lot of the young types, you know, young males, they go towards libertarianism initially because they want to rebel and they want to do certain things that are typically hedonistic and they usually don't check their psychology. So the major conversation that is happening in voluntary circles, and I'm telling you this because I'm participating in networking, is people understanding their own psychology. So that's the beautiful part. While we're doing this work, and I, I don't say to people where I come from or what I do, everything is interconnecting where people are actually reflecting and knowing that. And so that's what the voluntary circles are actually thinking and talking about, like people from New Hampshire, where they're mentioning, well, okay, so all this tyranny keeps going on. All these issues keep going on. What's preventing us? Why did the libertarians fail the test during all these other political venues and all the issues? Well, they're not actually considering what they're dealing with. They're not actually engaging in life. What they want to do is just propagandize and be commingling. But the solution, you asked me, instead of just criticism, the solution is divorcing ourselves from these networks that are corporate established venues and establishing a decentralized network of communities where not necessarily there is a panacea, but if we really think about freedom, what it is, if we think about market dynamics, well, everyone has a choice. And reality, remember Ayn Rand, you can ignore reality, but the consequences of reality, well, that's you cannot do that. Well, that is what you need. You need all these different networks of people actively engaging in reality as professional adults and creating a marketplace of ideas, a marketplace of productivity, and actually create a business. So if you're if you yep. say you're anarcho-capitalist, you need to get out in the market and start producing things. Yep. If you say you're a voluntarist, you need to understand peaceful parenting. You need to understand these things. Without that, there is nothing else. So these are major solutions. Government as it is right now, you have to see it as a conduit, as a venue of power politics and be real about it. Libertarian party is not the same as a libertarian ideology. And so there's all these different stray cats who want to bring about this new idea. And there are many people who are doing a great job and I'm participated in some of their venues and I'm not going to name the names. I think people just in general could get the idea of what I'm talking about. So in other words, being real, having your own friends, having your own family, having your own conspiracy. And if you're going to participate in, in politics, you need to understand the venue, the battlefield. I talked about the battlefield. My major political activism in Laredo, Texas, where a man was shot 80, 80 times by the sheriff's department. He was a schizophrenic man. And I was like in the middle of a police reform. And I thought, okay, this is great. This is great. We're, we're, I don't believe in politics, but this is local politics and I am influencing it and I can do it. Well, who you surround with who you politically activate yourself with can be your own detriment, could be your own downfall. So if you're doing politics, understand what it is and understand how limited it is, but you need to have a multidisciplinary approach, a heterodoxy. And that's one thing I kind of do not agree so much with a voluntarist or anarchist is that they usually are very rigid ideologically, meaning they think they know all these other things, though the praxis of it, meaning... Uh, taxation, theft, and all this other stuff. But when it comes to their individual personal life, uh, there's a lot for them to do. So we're doing the work, we're building it up, and I think that's going to be part of the solution. I hope that explains it because I wouldn't want to go away without just no, talking it, a bunch it, of fluff. It, it does, man. It kind of reminds me of a thought a thought pattern I had a while ago where like a lot of these people that seem to want to reject tyranny in the world still accept and project tyranny in their personal lives within their homes, you know, but unless you're dealing with on the on the local level, 
how you're ever really going to affect any real change um, externally. Yeah. Can't leave consciousness at the door. We've heard many times. Right. And there was, there was a good uh, project, the conscious resistance. If people are interested, they can look into that and they can understand that creative resistance and spontaneous order is necessary to derail the materialistic dialectic of society. And the local level, I mean, really, that's the best venue for us to really start taking over. If you're not taking over your own life, uh, you're not going to be able to take over anything. And yeah. you really have to exercise your influence over this world. Yeah. Like, just very straightforward. If the enemy is globalism, isn't the solution localism? Right. But we must be cautious. Yeah. Because... The issue that happened between Brexit and what's going on right now with the European Union, they present us this localization or this separation of powers, but because the military-industrial complex, here's the blind spot of anarchist libertarian volunteers. They think that the private marketplace is actually free. They don't see that it's actually controlled. Both, both the public and the private partnership are taking over society. And so usually they don't question corporations, they don't question Elon Musk, they usually don't question a lot of these individuals that are participating in the global hegemony. But yeah, I think in general, if we reclaim our existence, everything will explain itself. Yeah. Hector, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given in your life? <laughs> I'm sorry, man, I'm embarrassed. I, I, um, I never really received the best advice. All of um, Look, I'm not trying to be no. vain or prideful. All of the stuff that I talked to you about, I learned it on my own. Yeah. I didn't have a father. I didn't have a leader in my life. So I really cannot answer that question. I'm sorry. You know, that, 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 that's, all, man. That's, that's an answer. That's, that's, a, that's a very legit answer. What's the, what's the single most life-changing book you've ever read out of all of them? If there's one, you had to put one on a pedestal. <laughs> what would it be? Okay. Genealogy of morals, because it taught me to really deconstruct the biographical significance of philosophers. So when I was reading the introduction to genealogy of oh, morals, what was really, it? What was the name of it? Genealogy, genealogy of, morals? of morals by Nietzsche. Got it. And what it, that book attempts to really do is to showcase that while we project philosophy, we talk philosophy. Yeah. Really, where we're just projecting our own biographical significance. It's an autobiographical story. And so that was a great book for me to understand because it made me realize philosophers also can be vain. Philosophers can be fallacious. And they usually have a will to power and they'll tell you what they want to believe, but their own personal life might be different. Like Marx, Karl Marx, he's revered as this great person. But if you met him in real life, this guy's a bomb. This guy's a bomb. He's just like broken marriages, children everywhere, and like mm -hmm. being supported by Engels and asking for money for the rent. Like, <laughs> this is the great leader? I don't think so. Yeah. What a degenerate he was. <laughs> yeah. Hector, man, honestly, such a pleasure to connect. Thank you so much for this conversation, Thank you. bro. I really appreciate it. Um, is there anything that you'd like to leave our audience with? If you want to be my friend, please email me. I know it sounds odd. It really is a social experiment. If you want to be my friend, just contact me. Some weirdness is going to happen.
<laughs> I know we emailed you for the podcast, but I'm going to email you separately, man, because I want to be your friend. Yes, yes, yes. There's a conspiracy afoot. That's why I say that. <laughs> cool. we'll, we'll put Hector's email in the show notes here. <laughs> and uh, the last thing I want to say, um, I am reformatting my website. You will find uh, most of my work at HectorCombo.com. It's taking me some time, but I'm in a transition. So you'll find articles, podcasts, videos, all these things from different years and in preparation for an upcoming book. And that's what I am working on. So if you are interested in these ideas and want to learn more about it, please contact me and follow with me. Incredible, man. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much, man. I think our audience is definitely going to dig, you know, who you are and and what you have to offer. So uh, anyone watching, check out uh, Hector's website uh, for sure. Big Guys. brains only. <laughs> yeah. Big, big, big brains only. <laughs> well, they may realize they might realize right away what, what size of brain they have once they start reading your three-part thing. You well, know, look, I don't know. I might my, I might read it and be like, I'm medium, medium sized. Uh. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay? I know, dude. I'm fucking around too, man. No, no, no. I know we have to end it. I'm just saying, look, I meant it more like come come on, come hang out. No, no, I just want to just, we have a little time, man. I just yeah. want to ask this, the importance of humor, you know, oh, yeah. and, and, and all this deep shit and philosophy and fucking shadow work and personal growth and conspiracy, like fucking people need to chill and laugh too, man. A lot of knowledge. You know, like that's, I, I don't know. I'm such a, I mean, you've talked about the jester before. I'm definitely a jokester, you know, like I'm ruled by Gemini. I'm by Mercury, like I'm a little bit of a trickster. And I just think, man, with all the stuff happening in the world, with the stuff that we've been through as individuals, like if you can't just like laugh at yourself sometimes and laugh at situations, like man, life's going to be rough. Right. And that's a critical venue for conspiracy. I'm just going to say the last thing because you mentioned it. That's actually the latest, biggest trend. So if you're looking to really be ahead of the game, get into comedy. Don't Mm. explain your philosophy. Don't be a fool. Make yourself a fool and teach people through your foolishness. That's going to give you popularity and that's going to get you a major following. People are ready for that. So that's what's happening in Texas right now. There's a lot of comedic venues happening since a lot of people are moving there. That's the main venue right now. So, well, I don't know if you. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I need to start. I need to start doing making jokes more, man. I don't well, know. I think, we'll see what happens. I think that's the main 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 reason people are even attracted to this podcast because Erasmus just talks shit twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's got to be the balance too sometimes, and I think like I like talking shit, like you know, making fun of things or myself or. And, and just bringing a little bit lightness to it because it's it, it can be heavy, man. It's necessary, dude. It's so necessary. Guys, we'll leave that with you. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you guys. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you're listening. Hector, much love, man. Take care, everyone. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share that confusion. 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with...